Welcome back to another episode of Raising the Standard. Did you guys see the Super Bowl? There were two spots that were run on a campaign promoting Jesus, and the theme of the messages were, he gets us. Well, today I'm joined by a theologian. I got Austin Kreutz back on the show. We did a, a show a few episodes ago called What is Man? Check it out. It got a lot of good reviews. And I'm really excited because we got Austin coming back as our resident theologian to give us his take on the He Gets Us campaign. Let's get into it. This is Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the ambitious Christian man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. All right, guys. So we're going to break down He Gets Us. So I'm joined today by Pastor Austin Kreutz. Austin is the president of the Bonhoeffer Forum. He's also been a pastor for over 48 years. He's a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, as well as the Evangelical Philosophical Society. And the list goes on. I could keep showing you Austin's titles, but let's just say this. He's well qualified to give us his perspective on the He Gets Us campaign. I invited him specifically for this purpose because the He Gets Us campaign has everyone talking on both sides, whether you're far left, far right, atheist, or you're a firm believer, evangelical, whatever stream of Christianity you come from, everyone's got a perspective on this. So Austin, let's jump right into it. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I can't wait to get into this conversation with you. Welcome to the show again. Well, thank you, Josh. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and an honor as well. All right, cool. Well, let's let's get right into it. So let me just set the stage for us because um, just in case anyone's watching or listening and they didn't see the commercials or know anything about the campaign, I'm just going to set the stage for us really quick. So Super Bowl just happened about a week or two ago at the time we're recording this and um, the time you're listening. And there was a campaign run called He Gets Us, and it's seeking to put Jesus in a new light for potential new followers of Jesus that don't know anything about him, just an evangelical campaign is what they're calling it. It's run by a nonprofit called the Servant Foundation. Um, you can check it out at hegetsus.com. Um, they spent over $100 million on this campaign. I believe it was around $20 million during the Super Bowl ads, or maybe the $100 million is lifetime, or maybe that was for the Super Bowl. Um, but they ran about 90 seconds, two commercials. One was a 30-second, one was a minute. And what they're doing and the goal of the campaign is really to appeal to the groups that feel excluded and repelled by the religious community. So they're really looking to evangelize non-believers in a relevant way. So it's not for Christians, it's for non-believers and aiming to get to what they call the movable middle. Um, so Austin, let me just open it up. You had a chance to check this out. What's your first reaction to anything I just said with like, let's start with the goal and the objective. Is it a worthy objective to run a campaign like this, to try and reach people and according to their words, rebrand Jesus? It's, it's a honorable attempt to um, bring an introduction to the gospel. But the question is, which gospel? And the other question is, not only is it which gospel, but where do you go from here? We have a lot of easy believism in our culture, in Christian culture, evangelical circles, etc. Everything from um, he's the man upstairs to uh, he's Lord and Savior. But 
The problem with it is, is how it articulates and what, what is it actually trying to say? It's basically, if, um, if I was a non-believer and I looked at it, it would be like, yeah, that's cool. I'm okay. Um, we need to get to a point where there's a little more, well, I'd say not just a little more, but a lot more information that needs to be uh, given out as well as the contact information to um, where do we go from here. So uh, that's the problem with it. We we do not have in our evangelism the actual cost of discipleship and lordship. We have many concepts and ideas that will supposedly fulfill our emotions and maybe a little bit of our guilt. But there's more to the uh, call to become a Christian than just that. And I, I think we'll be getting into that as we, as we uh, talk back and forth here. Yeah, I mean, you went right to it. You went right to your thoughts. Thanks for not holding anything back. Well, first of all, let's start with their premise, because their premise is that they're rebranding Jesus, because he needs to be rebranded um, because Christians have misrepresented Jesus. And also, um, they they basically, their appeal is this. They're appealing to groups that feel excluded and repelled by the religious community. So, number one, can you acknowledge, and can we both acknowledge that some people do feel excluded and and alienated by Christians, and that some Christians, frankly, aren't nice, and we know the gospel is an offense, but I, I feel some Christians are offensive with the way they share the gospel. So um, I'd like to get your feedback on that statement. Well, here's the situation in a nutshell. The gospel is offensive. Sin is offensive. But the, the situation is you can't candy coat it either. Um, either you're going to present what's truly in the scripture or you're not, to try to rebrand something that, that I, I guess the best way I can put it, has a 2,000-year-old brand on it, is a little facetious. But what, what's going on here is we're looking at these things. They're appealing to saying, you're okay. The way you are is okay. And the, the situation is also that there's a variety of different churches that have a variety of different reactions to homosexuality, LGBTQ, transgender, etc., in our own church, we welcome anybody, but on the other hand, we're not going to compromise the truth. And some denominations and fellowships, etc., basically uh, take the approach that uh, the 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 sin is so grievous that we don't want to be polluted by you. And this is another aspect of of like, you know, are you protecting the four walls of the church, or are you supposedly going out and making disciples? Each individual has the opportunity of accepting or rejecting the message. Our responsibility is to preach the truth in love. Um, that doesn't mean that, uh, I guess that doesn't mean that you try to compromise the truth to get numbers in your church. But on the other hand, you want to tell the truth. What is the reality of the situation? So we have an obligation to be loving, to be open, to be accepting. But we also have the obligation of not compromising truth. And that opens up a whole can of worms in today's uh, Christian uh, circles, to say the least. Right. So I want to get there. But can we establish the fact, and do you agree with the statement, that there have been people, there have been groups, there have been movements that have used Jesus um, to alienate people? to hate on them and not show a full gospel picture. We at least, can I get you to agree with that, that that, that actually does exist, that people oh, yeah. have misrepresented him. Oh, yeah. And uh, they've probably yeah. done some harm, right? More than some harm. 
You know, it, it's said in uh, marketing circles that if uh, if a person has a positive experience, their chances of telling people about their experiences, um, well, maybe you'll tell two or three people. But if you have a negative experience, good grief, um, it, <laughs> you'll tell the entire world about it, you know. And, and part of that is self-vindication. You know, I had this experience that was bad. I went to that church, and I mean, I've seen this over the years where people have been totally turned off to Christianity and Scripture and everything just because they had one bad experience at a church or heard about a friend who had a, a similar experience. So, yeah, you know, there's some of us that have really messed up. There's some of us that have really, on the other end, have been too compromising and too loving. But as a whole, uh, both extremes are, are, are really bad. But, yeah, there's a lot of people that have been turned off by the, um, let's use the pandemic for an example, the, the inability of the pulpit to stand in the midst of, of crisis. Yeah, with, with the whole thing, there's, there's a, a whole wide variety on both ends of the spectrum. But, yeah, I agree with you, Josh. It's, it's, yeah. it's a problem. It's a major problem. Well, you're you're triggering this memory for me where I, I think we all know this story. And if you're hearing it for the first time, you can you can hear it here. It's where Gandhi walked into a church at one point. Yes. I believe he walked into a Christian church and he was judged at the door. They wouldn't even let him in. And they told him he had to change his outward and external stuff to even be let into the building. It was such a horrible witness. And history could have been different in Gandhi's life and maybe the nation of India if they let him in and they were an example of showing love. But instead, um, some religious folks judged him and he basically walked away and said, you might have persuaded me, except, you know, I can't even get past the people here at the front door. So um, See, those, those prejudices are, are very prevalent and not just on the idea of homosexuality, etc. You know, back in the day in the Jesus movement, you know, people were really with the long hair and the tattoos and the language and everything else wound up in a situation where they weren't accepted, period. And mm -hmm. their style of uh, Christianity wasn't accepted. And yet they were earnest believers looking for the truth and looking for mentors. But um, that cultural divide uh, really started a lot of independent churches because they couldn't find a place to actually worship. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this oh. is a big problem. Yeah, great history on that. Um, so as we look at this, you know, we, we can acknowledge that people are offensive in the way they present the gospel. Um, we just had the story of Gandhi there of like people that just never even get into the door. So as we look at this campaign, let's look at the flip side of it, because we do want to know like, okay, so there are people that are honestly, they're jerks, right? They've turned people off. There's actually some data I've seen from George Barna. This was a year, years ago. Um, and I think it was in the book on Christian where he talks, mm -hmm. you know, Dave Kinnaman, I believe, and you might've been the one to tell me to take a look at that book. Um, but anyways, I looked at it and one of the big takeaways from the data was that Christians are known more for what they're against than what they're for. And that kind of leads us to why did the Servant Foundation even want to try to attempt rebranding Jesus? So I can understand their perspective that there has been a misrepresentation. There's so many streams, so many channels, so many things you can tune into. Um, you know, it could leave someone standing there saying, and I'm, I'm saying it some days too, and that's what we're doing on this broadcast is will the real Jesus please stand up? 
You know, which one is he? And we know that Paul had the same issue in the first century, and he's writing yep. about all these different types of Christ and the way people are presenting Jesus and utilizing his message. And I think even when Jesus walked the earth, Austin, you know, we had the religious side and we had the political side. They were both trying to harness the energy and harness the movement that he had, the attention that he had, and co-opt it for their own purposes. So we see whenever man starts to mingle and meddle with the message and put their fingerprints on it for a different ambition— it always ends up weird. Very weird. Very weird. Matter of fact, if you're looking at uh, the crew that Jesus is hanging around with, the 12, uh, one of the things that you're seeing with it is, is how the zealots were looking at it as an opportunity to get rid of the Romans. So you, you, you have all of that going on in the background as, as all of this is happening. Uh, I would say to rebrand it, what we need to rebrand is the fact that the gospel is not necessarily a comforting message because it has two points to it. The first point is, do you want to hear the good news or do you want to hear the bad news? The, the, the bad news is a situation that you're a sinner and that you have a need and that you'll be striving with sin. The, the good news is that when you die, you're not going to have a, that. You're not going to have that problem. So if we're going to present the gospel, let's put it this way. What is the gospel? And, and, and not only what is the gospel, see, the gospel is also what you would say uh, non-cultural. It, it doesn't have a cultural perspective. The pure gospel is the gospel in any culture, in any situation. It's a matter of a, the acceptance of laying down one's life to allow Christ to be Lord. And for, for some people, that's very difficult. But that part of the message very rarely gets out. And so when you when the, the thing I liked about the ads is it identified the fact that there are Christians that are just like you. The the bad part of it is it didn't take you any further. It didn't give you an action point and 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 what that action point entails. Okay, so we're going to get there. I want to get there, but this is what I see in the ads um and this is what I see the world's acceptance of Jesus is. Because right now, Austin, at the time of recording this, Jesus is cool. He's cool on social media. He's cool with influencers. For the most part, people don't seem to have an issue with Jesus. They'll say, I have an issue with his followers. But even right now among Christians, they're sharing their faith more. They're putting it on their profiles on social media. So we see this movement where Jesus is cool and the world sees that. And they're like, yeah, Jesus is cool. And if you look at the ads at face value, and I've even heard you know, just some news commentators talking about it, like, hey, these are beautiful messages. Jesus spreads a message of love. And you know, this is great. Love your neighbor. And just this, really, again, we're back to the myth that I try and take down in the standard, the book, Discovering Jesus is the Standard for Masculinity, which is what I see predominantly among the world. Jesus is this hippie. He's this guy that goes around. He preaches love, acceptance, and tolerance. And yes, people can come to him any way they want, but they will, once they have an encounter with him, they will not leave the same. So let me get your comments on that because that's that's a message the world has always gravitated to and has always tried to present Jesus one-sided as he's all love, he's all acceptance, he's all tolerant, and you can come to him any way you are. Well, let's look at it from this perspective. There was a young man who was a rich young ruler. And in this process, he is looking for someone to disciple him. You know, he's looking for a master, as the Jews did. 
And so he stumbles upon Jesus and he says, good master. And, you know, Jesus' response is basically, there's no one who's good. And then he goes into the situation of, um, you know, uh, what, what, what do you need to do to, to have this eternal life? And uh, he responds back with all of the stuff, you know, I've been good, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, the other thing. And then Jesus penetrates the real issue, which is the heart. And so what we're looking at today is Jesus is not your buddy. And what we're, what we're having is instead that here's this loving individual, regardless of what you ever did. And, and, and there's, a second, there's an opposite side of this as well, which is positive. But this is the negative part of it. The negative part of it is that you're okay. You don't have a need. The problem that we have right now is that we don't have drastic sin need. And part of what happened with COVID was all of the comforts were removed. So right now, if you're going to be Christian and it's cool to be Christian, yeah, I'm, you know, I've got my cross on my, around my neck. I've got my, my Jesus bumper sticker. I'm part of this thing and we're all kind of cool and everything is cool and everything is great. But it never, it never deals with the issue of discipleship. It's what Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. You know, do whatever you want. God's going to forgive you. He's loving. It borders on the same thing as Rob Bell's universalism, where everybody's going to make it. And so you might as well get on board, have a good time, have some worship. And, and when we're having worship, are we worshiping worship or are we worshiping the Lord? Uh, so the flip side of this is, that, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of acceptance, a tremendous amount of love and congeniality, but it's a lot deeper than that. It's actually kind of a false um, feel-good, uh, and I'll use this uh, expression, anthropocentric, which means a, um, a religion that's centered around man. And so um, what we have here is we have this whole goody-goody feeling that, puts on a false religion and you know here's here's the other aspect of this are all people in church saved think about that for a moment i've had more i've had mormon missionaries tell me that they go to christian churches to save individuals that are in the church think, think about that for a minute so that's the one side that we're talking about with the buddy issue He's not my buddy. You, you said something really powerful because what you brought this down to is discipleship because Jesus doesn't call us to get church members, attendees, converts, say a one-time prayer. He really raises up followers, which are called disciples. They're learners. They embrace a certain lifestyle and they follow him. And that is really what we're after. That's really what Jesus is after. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for disciples. And whenever there's discipleship and a call to being a disciple, there's always a cost. It's free, but, but it ain't cheap, right? There's, there's this whole concept of counting the cost as you follow Jesus. It, it's, it's free, but it's not free. Now, let me give you an example that, um, if, if I may, a little story here that actually happened. I went to visit my buddy in, uh, in Ohio, and as I'm driving down the road, I stop at a stoplight, and I just turn to the left, and there's a sign on the shop that says worldly things that's the name of the shop but in the window on the door it has going out of business now going out of business means the intent that you're going to close the store but it's still open 
and I was shocked and amazed at this because it illustrates a lot of Christianity today. The Worldly Things store has a going out of business sign on it. But in reality, what's happening is the store is still open. And so when we want, when we want salvation on our own terms, we have a major problem. So we may think that we're saved. We may think that we're in a situation because we've got a Jesus sticker or Jesus is my buddy or we hang out with a bunch of quote-unquote friends. This labeling of everything being Christian is a real problem. I mean, C.S. Lewis said there's no Christian way of boiling an egg. It works the same way. So the flip side of this is the question of not just discipleship, but what is lordship? What does it mean to have a king with, which, which in a republic like what we have, a representative republic is a foreign concept and idea, but a king has absolute rule and reign over you. This is why Paul uses the expression, a servant, which is actually a poorer translation because the word is doulos, which really means Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. He has sold out totally. His sign on that store of worldly things has turned around to where it says closed. And if we can take it one step further in John 4 with the woman at the well, Jesus says this. He says, my meat, my purpose, my telos, my direction, my whole being is to fulfill God's will and to, and to accomplish it, to complete it. So that is a whole different ball of wax than just saying Jesus is my buddy. And, and that's the problem with these ads. It, it, yes, we should have churches that are open to anybody, but we should not compromise truth. And when we, when we preach about salvation, we should not be saying it like, oh, it's going to be great. You know, and, and, and you just, you know, you just come here and everything is wiped away and you're born again and there you are. Well, no, that's just that, like having a birth without giving a bottle. And, and the church's biggest problem right now is the lack of discipleship that is going on. Discipleship brings people into the maturity where they can be disciples as well. So that, you know, I don't know if you want to pursue this a little bit more. We could, but, but that's the major flaw with everything that we're seeing in these ads. There's no, it, it brings you to a point of saying, yeah, that's cool, but there's no conviction that comes along with it. That's a problem. Have you heard about the Unfair Advantage Challenge? Guys, I just released a brand new challenge. It's totally free. It's an email experience. You can sign up at the link below. Now, back to the episode. Well, I'll tell you my my reaction. I was watching the ads with my wife, and the, the first one was really cool. It had uh, it was the childlike ad, and it had these kids, and it was a viral moment where they ran up and they hugged each other, and it was like heartwarming. And I saw this, and then at the end, it was you know basically be more childlike. He gets us, and then the next one, you know, they they kind of get into um, which one was it? It was the one where you know Jesus loved the people we hate, which is eye opening, and you didn't know what side it was. Is this a right ad or is this a left ad? And it basically was love everyone. Jesus loved the people we hate, and they left me both. Um, you know, when I was done, I looked at my wife and I said, "What do you think about it?" And we were like, "Eh, like, eh." I didn't really have a strong opinion at the moment. I was just like. Okay, I don't know what that's going to do. Um, however, maybe it's a nudge in the right direction. So let's take a closer look at the ads, um, Austin, because what I have here is just a couple of them pulled up. 
I'm not going to play them right now, but I'm just going to, you know, hit a couple of topics. So one was a dinner party. You know, there was a man and he dined with sinners. He crossed racial boundaries. He invited everyone to sit at his table. Full stop. He gets us. Right. So there's that one. Um, there's Jesus love the people we hate. Um, there was one that was controversial. I don't know if they're still running it, um, but it was about a teen mom. And it was really like almost presenting um, the struggles of a teen mom. Um, it, it was a little bit weird. And that one caught a little bit of flax. So I don't know if they pulled it or not. But, you know, Jesus is a refugee. He's an immigrant. Jesus was homeless. Um, there's one that I, I heard about. I can't find it on their site. They might have pulled it, but it was about anxiety. Jesus suffered anxiety. And they're talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, that is not an accurate depiction of really what was happening in that scene. So I see these a little bit off center, the way they're they're making these messages fit. The ads are well done to start a conversation, and they're well done from a marketing perspective. But as you hear those topics, you know, Jesus felt alone, um, you know, this peace and love message, this message of love and acceptance, tolerance, and inclusivity is really the goal of most of these messages and where they end up. So as you hear those, as you checked out the ads for yourself, any comments on those ads and, and just, you know, gut reaction to some of the topics they were covering? In a nutshell, all right, he gets us, but do we get him? That's the, the, that's, that's the ultimate question with all of this, because a lot of what they're saying is all true. There's, it's not like they're, they're sugarcoating it to make a lie. It's just that they don't go, go far enough, you know? They, they just don't go far enough to, to have an action point that um, allows you the opportunity of saying, yeah, that's not only just cool, but uh, I have a need. I am that pregnant teen mother. You know, I, I am that that person that's been uh, thrown out of a church. All of those type of things people can relate to, but it doesn't take it far enough. It it, it leads you with the thing of saying, "Yeah, the Lord went through that," or "Yeah, Jesus went through that. That's cool. I'm cool." Um, no, you know. When Paul preached, a lot of what he preached about was was the need. Where, where, where is the need? Where, what need do I have? And all advertising is based around a need. You know, you know, you to the to the teenager who's got the Z on the end of the nose. You need clear cell. You need this. You need that. Uh, and we see this also with the, the the way our consumeristic mentality is in our culture. Um, if you go to a church and you don't like the preaching, well, you just go find a church that you like the preaching. You, you, you know, do, do we get it? Do we get him? Do we get what he's really trying to say? Um, that's what needs to start coming across in these type of ads. You know, you know I'll, I'll just bring this up because what's going on right now at Asbury uh, at the seminary is that people who are believers who've probably been believers for years all of a sudden have come under conviction of their need to get closer to God and to confess uh, their sins before God. The problem is, is 
that we don't identify a lot of those lifestyles. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but the lifestyles that hinge on the sin issue that have brought people to that place of, say, the teenage mother, the homosexual, uh, you, you name it. You know, we we pick on one or two of our favorite sins because they're they're different. You know, they're 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 different than we are, and so that gives us this this thing of self righteousness where there's no not even one that is righteous. Um, but that's that's my opinion. You know, he he gets us. He always gets us. He's always there. He's always around us. He's always there. Do we get him? Do we get really the real message of what he really died for as a church? So I think that is the question. That That is the question of what comes next, because the ads are well done and they can start a conversation. So if I take the other lens for a moment, Austin, I could say, well, this is a nudge, you know, like we could pick it up from here. And is it required that if you run a marketing campaign in the middle of the Super Bowl, if you're running a 30 second spot, is it required that you have to get the full gospel in a spot? And is that going to be really effective? So I could, I could see that side of the, the coin as well. And here's my take on it. And I think you're, you really hit what happens next is all marketing campaigns build to a decision point and they progress. So the question really is with this, um, I'm not going to hold them to the standard that you got to get to the whole gospel in 30 seconds, right? That that might be unrealistic. And let's be honest, if we look in the mirror, is that the way that you ever share your faith with anybody here? Have we ever done it in a minute? Um, so I don't think that's a fair standard. But I, what I do think is a fair question is what comes next and where are these ads leading to? Because if they stop here, they're stopping really short. Can we take these ads? Can we take these conversation starters as Christians and use them to start a conversation and build that dialogue? I think we could. I think it's great that we're talking about this right now. I think it's great that um, that everyone's talking about it. But what I've noticed is um, they did not move the left at all. So if you're, if you're an atheist, um, and maybe I shouldn't say left, but if you're an atheist, if you oppose God, and I say the left because AOC had a tweet um, about this, and she was just like, this is Christo-fascism, and and so you're not winning anyone over on um, the side that is opposed to God. Um, Christians are split. Some Christians are celebrating this is happening. Others are taking more of a critical lens and they're asking good questions, which is what we're doing right now. Um, and there are some people in the middle like, hey, will it start them on a journey? And if it does, then that's awesome. But the question is for us, as we look at the campaign, is what is the next step? So this is what I found, Austin. They, there is a part on the website where you can get plugged in with a church. From everything I've read and listened to around this topic over the last couple of days, there doesn't seem to be any doctrinal standard of what types of churches can join this coalition to get people filtered into your church from this campaign. I think that's a problem. I, I think if you continue on with it, that's, that's, that's what needs to take place. But instead of just saying he gets us, there should be another. There should be a question there. Do you get him? And and or, or something along those type of lines that are saying he's accepting you, but then throw it back on the individual and something like maybe do you get him for more information? Go to with maybe a QR code on the screen because you're right. In thirty seconds, you're not going to be able to to really. Um, convey a lot of the gospel, but you can convey enough to bring about a curiosity with a go-to. You know, one of the things with Franklin Graham's ads, and and again, you know, a lot of people look at, well, you know, that's Billy Graham's son. But there's there's always a contact there. There's always a contact number or or a place on the web 
um that's what's missing from these ads yeah you know if you had that in there that would be great or if you had a follow-up ad uh to it maybe even using some of the same characters and, sure. and leading it to a situation of 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 of, of a action step uh, I, I guess that's the right. best way of what i'm trying to advocate here that would do a world of good um for this campaign and it, you could have very positive um very positive reactions to it you know the mormons do a lot of this where they have good things and whatever and then they always have that contact number that goes on there or qr code or or whatever that's the only missing part that that we need to get back to but yeah follow it up with a little more of a um a definite thing or a branding thing you know the term he gets us might be their their brand motto but then follow it up with another set of ads that lead to this coalition of churches so i i those are all good thoughts and and what i like about you know you mentioned the franklin graham ads and I like the fact they give you a Bible. So if you want a free Bible, you can get one and they'll give you the next step. So I agree with that. So I have a question for you. We're going to start to wrap this up because I think we covered it from a couple different angles. Um, but my question for you is, well, let, let's go with this first. Was Because what I see with these ads, it goes back to a motto that's been known around churches for a long time now. And it's, an, it's, a, marketing, it's a marketing approach that is basically spurned on a whole demographic of churches. And the term is seeker sensitive. And it's basically, we are going to be very sensitive to the seeker. We're going to present Jesus in a really um, palatable way that anyone would want to come in through the door. And I guess the goal with a seeker-sensitive movement is to eventually lead them down a path or bring them to the truth, have some great discussions and dialogue. That would be the good side of it. And the bad side is we're so seeker-sensitive, we never get into what we started this episode with, is we never present the full gospel. Um, we present this social justice warrior, this man with a message of love, um, this human that's a model for moral behavior and a good moral citizen that we can follow and look at as an example, but he's not my Lord or my Savior. What do you say about the seeker-sensitive aspect of the ads and just the seeker-sensitive movement in general? Well, the seeker-sensitive movement, I'm trying to remember offhand the name of the major church that that uh, perpetuated it and, and actually brought it into a system of evangelism, found out that after a couple of years that the people that were coming into the church were also, after a couple of years, leaving the church. Now, the issue of that is the lack of discipleship. I think it's Willow Creek, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. I think you're correct. And, and what this has done is it has sent out, you're not going to like a few things I'm going to say here, guys. I, I might here, like it, so go ahead. Here, here's the thing. I'll tell you. Okay, you can't market something that is supposed to be done by every single individual. The New Testament church, I mean, yeah, you had Philip the Evangelist and a few other things, but the, the New Testament church, by and large, was a church of participation. And the, the goal of that was not only just to disciple and bring people into the fullness of their giftings and callings, but to have them at a point of maturity where they could reproduce. The question for the church today is this. Do we have a uh, mature group of individuals who are able to reproduce? The sign of maturity is reproduction. And so what we've done is we've taken that all away, and we've had the, the office of evangelist, which was originally an exhorter, run into a specialist who, oh, we need to go to church, let's bring in an evangelist. 
the, the responsibility for evangelism is on each and every individual. Now, let's take it from the top. Because once you're saved, the responsibility of the, the body of believers of the real fivefold ministry is to reproduce individuals to the fullness of the God-given calling that they have and the God-given gifting that they've been given. This means that discipleship is not a course that you take. See, it's an acts to arrangement of sharing life of being mentored, and maybe not just by one individual, but by a group of individuals where when you share life, you're laying a foundation of understanding, first of all, what a biblical worldview is, second of all, what the requirements are for real salvation, third of all, the removal of guilt and shame. You know, the, the, the early church had this situation where a new convert would come in. The first thing they would do is deal with all their baggage. Then the second thing they would do is teach them the doctrine then the end of that was usually during Easter, a profession of the, uh, the Apostles' Creed and a baptism, and then they were introduced to their new disciple that they were going to disciple. We've lost that. The early church actually won the whole known world in, in one generation. So the issue is this. Coming to Christ is not a situation of having a buddy or feeling good emotionally, or hearing a quick message that you go to that every week you go to to get charged up. Coming to Christ is literally laying down your life. It's the great exchange. It's, you've got, pardon the way I'm going to put this, a shitty life. And even if you don't think you have a shitty life, it says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. We've missed what God has for us. And in that, we come to find out what our need is. Our need is redemption. And where's that from? That comes from being justified by faith. What does that mean? We accept God at his word, and we literally give him everything. And when we give him everything, we ask for his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us. And then we are moving into the kingdom of God under what would be called sanctification, Romans 6, 7, and 8. And bit by bit, and, and we, we change who we are through Christ himself. It's not our abilities, it's his. And then we have a testimony of what God has done. Don't tell me what God has done 20 years ago. What is he doing in your life today? And that is what we should be sharing. What is Christ doing in our life? I was where you're at. I understand where your situations are. You know, we tell people all the time, right? we had a homosexual come, or I should say a lesbian come to our church. And the first words out of her mouth when we were having fellowship is, you hate me. I said, does anybody here hate you? Does anybody here just kind of like said, oh, you're a bad person? No, we love you, but we're not going to compromise the truth. And see, when you do seeker-sensitive, all you're trying to do is to bring a group of people in. And, and this, is, this is my evaluation, to have a good time, throw a few bucks in an offering plate, and come back. Well, after a while, if you really have accepted Christ, there's a spiritual hunger that says there's got to be more than, than just showing up at church, listening to a good message, and throwing a few bucks in an offering plate. And that's where discipleship, which should take place right at the point of, of conversion, come alongside an individual, just like you come alongside that infant, and, and begin, uh, begin living your lives together. And as you're living your life together, sharing the, the gospel, sharing the, the scripture, giving not just knowledge, not just information, but formation. And that's what's lacking in the church today. Right.
That's what's so that's good. what's lacking. Yeah, so, and if we did that, it would, would lead to transformation. Exactly. And transformation would be transformation of culture. The reason why we're having the problem in the culture right now is because very few people have a, 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 a an understanding of what a biblical worldview is, let alone their lack of reading the word. You know, dust that Bible off and read it from cover to cover. You know, get involved in a discipling group where you can get not just information, but formation. You know, Wesley, this is interesting, would not preach anywhere where they would not allow him to have these small group meetings. And when, what was the small group meeting? Well, it was basically an accountability group. You know, like they would have simple little questions like, what was your biggest temptation this week? <laughs> what, did you, what did you do about that? Were you successful in overcoming that temptation? Now, just imagine uh, today in our in, in most of our church settings, a small group where the group leader says, well, Joe, what was your temptation this week and how did you sin? <laughs> but that is what brought about the the great renewals. And, and, and you have the, the first awakening in the 1700s, the second awakening in the in the uh, 1800s, and now we're on the precipice of having a third awakening, and and people are realizing that this consumeristic, self-centered life that the culture is presenting to us of having free sex, free this, free that, government taking care of you, is not fulfilling. There's only one who can fulfill that, and that's Jesus Christ, the man who gave his life as a ransom for not just our sins, but to have eternal life with him you know when was the last time you heard a sermon like that or heard a sermon on the blood or heard a sermon on the second coming or for that matter the trinity or the blood um the pulpits of america were on fire and they need to be on fire now today so that's my you know you're not going to please you know lincoln said this you're going to please some of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time but you're not going to please all of the people all of the time and this is what a pastor has to really realize that you're not you're not going to have all the the uh wonderful people saying oh how wonderful that was you speak the truth and allow the holy spirit to move upon an individual to bring them into change and transformation so that's my take on um, self self-seeking i guess that's the yeah. way you should put it yeah no that's uh, that's that's really well said and we're going to leave it right there i'm going to close out with a with something i want to share that paul said and that he did and um the way paul does evangelism we see that he adapts his approach but he never changes the message so he might change his approach when he's meeting with the stoics on mars hill he'll relate to them he'll use different things that they can use so i think we're both in agreement that this campaign has the potential to be a really good start but if it stays right here and never progresses to the next step, it's falling massively short and it's not presenting the true and the real and the authentic Jesus that people really need to have an encounter with today. You know, let me just let me just say this and then I'll 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 be quiet and you can do your clothes. Uh, if you're listening to us and you've never experienced anything like what we're talking about right now, he he does get you. And and my question is, do you get him? And the situation is, regardless if you think you, 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 your life is wonderful or whatever, you know, Scripture tells us that the situation is that if you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And that is very simple. Here's the part that's really simply difficult, and that is admitting that you're a sinner 
and asking the Lord to not just take away your sins, but like I use the illustration of the store, totally sell out. Let him be the Lord of your life, the boss of your life, and accept that sacrifice on the cross. Accept the fact that you're no longer the one in charge and allow Christ Jesus to be the Lord, to lead you, guide you, and direct you. And then find a mature believer who's willing to actually disciple you. And this will enter you into the Christian life and eternal life with Christ in Jesus' name. Thank you, Josh. Awesome. Austin, I'm so glad you're here. Um, thank you for that call to action. And anyone who makes that commitment today, reach out to me, um, leave us a comment, reach out to us, go to standard59.com. Love to hear from you and connect with you. And I want to close this out with this as I'm thinking about, you know, all this talk and, you know, we have the right, we have the left, we have all these different sides. And now Jesus is in the mainstream again. He's being discussed. He's being talked at. He's being looked at. And some people do it with different agendas. They're presenting him with a different agenda. And I want to close this out with something that Paul writes from a prison cell in Philippians. And it's Philippians chapter one, just a couple verses here, um, 15 through 18. And this is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. And he says, to be sure, some are preaching Christ, even from any envy and strife. Some also do it from goodwill. Some do it out of love, knowing that he's appointed, that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motive. So we got this picture here. People have all these ambitions, all these different reasons why they're presenting Christ and how they're presenting him. And they're trying to cause distress to Paul while he's in prison. And this is Paul's response. What then? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So, Austin, I'm going to close this out with, we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus is taking the center stage, that people are talking about him, and if they start that journey and they start exploring and they're asking sincere questions, he will reveal himself. Guys, until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Have you heard about the Unfair Advantage Challenge? If you are a Christian man, I believe you have access to an unfair advantage. But many men never access or unlock the full potential of what God makes available to them. That's why I created the free Unfair Advantage Challenge. It's totally free. Sign up in the link below. You can access 11 days of emails and training so you can reach your full potential, be the man that God created you to be, and do what he created you to do. I also want to thank you for listening to the Raising the Standard podcast. If you have a friend that you know needs to hear this, please forward them the episode. And I would be completely honored if you would leave us a review. In fact, when you leave the review, tell me a topic that you would like me to address or cover on a future episode. I read those reviews. I'm looking forward to seeing what you want me to discuss. And until the next time, let's get after it.